0: You're listening to a podcast from JNNP. Welcome to April's JNNP podcast. I'm Harriet Vickers. This month, we're looking at Parkinson's disease subtypes, what we've got so far, what they could tell us about this heterogeneous disease, and the practicalities of incorporating them into research. Here's Connie Morass, an assistant professor of neurology at the University of Toronto. For the
1: past number of years, there's been a significant body of literature developing and and, um, published on Parkinson's disease subtypes. And so we, noting this, were surprised by the lack of integration of this information into clinical research, struck by the fact that although we're observing different subtypes, we uh, don't at this point seem to know how to use that information nor what to to make of the the subtypes and also that the subtypes that have been reported are disparate across different studies and so we thought it would be useful to try to synthesize this information and make some recommendations for how to move the field forward.
0: Could you give us an overview of the subtypes that have been observed and, and proposed so far? I know it's quite a big field, um, but just to give us an
1: idea of it. Sure, as I uh, alluded to, they are really disparate and every uh, study has come up with, uh, to some extent, uh, different types of subtypes. Now, when we talk about subtyping, we can think of two uh, different classification systems. One would be a method of deriving the subtypes, which is more data-driven, where there's no a priori hypothesis about what subtypes you're going to find, other than perhaps indicating that you want to look for a certain number of groups uh, within your data. The other uh, method of deriving subtypes is to use our clinical knowledge, and we've called this empirically driven or empirically derived subtypes, where clinical observation will suggest that patients can present in one or another manner and simply divide the patients with Parkinson's disease into um, two or more groups depending on whether or not they display a certain clinical feature. And the latter has been largely to divide people into either tremor dominant or Alternatively, what's been called a kinetic rigid or postural instability gait disorder type or an indeterminate type in between, the second major classification system that's been empirically derived is to divide people into early onset or late onset uh, forms. On the data driven side, this is where things get very complicated, and there have been a number of studies looking at different subtypes of Parkinson's disease. In general, these have most commonly incorporated the progression of disease, such as, for example, changes in UPDRS or Unified Parkinson's Disease Rating Scale scores um, over a certain duration of disease as an index of rate of progression in combination with um, age at onset of disease, other Variables that have been used to describe subtypes include whether or not there's a a tremor dominance, whether or not there is cognitive impairment, whether or not there are motor complications, and any number of combinations of these have been used to describe subtypes that come out of data-driven classifications.
0: Have any of them stood up particularly well? Have any of them been
1: shown to be robust? On the empirically driven side, the division of patients into tremor dominant and postural instability gait disorder or akinetic rigid subtypes, I think has a fair amount of support in terms of correlations with disease progression and prognosis. And inherently, it's a very easy classification system to use you can always put a patient into one or other of those camps or sometimes an indeterminate camp in between but it's fairly easy to see uh, where you would uh, put a patient. On the data-driven side it's more difficult and in general the application of these uh, subtype systems I think is one of the major gaps where we need to, to to try to move the field forward only uh, one or two of the subtyping systems that have been published um, from data-driven subtype analyses have actually provided an algorithm by which you could, not being one of the investigators themselves, from the outside come in and say, "Okay, well, how does my cohort divide into these different clusters and then take that forward and independently validate it?
0: Tell me a bit more about how researchers should be choosing which group of subtypes to to incorporate into their research i mean which do you think are, are particularly useful or does it really depend on the type of study that's being done
1: it depends probably mostly on the practicality to be to be honest i think of the subtyping system the a number of the subtyping systems they incorporated many, many different variables, up to 18 variables, into their algorithm for deriving subtypes in the data-driven classification case, some using variables that are really not clinically available, such as SPECT scan results. So I think that this limits the applicability of some of the subtyping systems. But we proposed um, some criteria for choosing a subtyping system to use in in studies, and we, we felt that it would be important that it be easy to implement, that would be using a small number of routinely used scales or physical measurements that we could apply at the beginning of a study in order to divide the cohort into subtypes. It should include a relatively small number of subtypes, so that you don't lose statistical power if you try to do subgroup analyses by subtypes and it needs to reflect the underlying etiological or pathophysiological process that determines the variability of parkinson's disease that we see now this third criterion i think is is where the field needs to again move forward in terms of validating the subtypes and correlating them to prognosis and correlating them to the underlying biology of the disease. So we may not yet have the information for the third criterion, but at least on the first two, uh, we can look at the practicality of the subtypes for implementation in, in clinical studies.
0: So, so how much do we understand at the moment about what the difference between these subtypes is at the um, at the causal or pathophysiological level?
1: There has been very little validation in that regard of the data-driven subtypes. I call it validation, but I guess it's uh, really understanding the meaning of the subtypes. But we do have some pathological evidence regarding um, the, the subtypes of Lewis and colleagues that is interesting and may, may suggest uh, different biological processes or at least modifying factors. We really don't understand how these subtypes relate fundamentally to the cause of the disease, whether or not they have separate causes or whether or not they result from a common cause but then intervening factors as the disease progresses that modify the evolution of the condition and I call those modifying factors uh, rather than different separate initiating factors. So it's really quite a a big theoretical question that this could help us answer. I think that it's very important that we start to incorporate the subtypes into clinical research um, because if there's a separate cause for different subtypes, then by combining subtypes in cohort studies, for example, and investigating causal factors, we'll only see those causal factors if there's one very strong effect that is able to withstand the noise introduced by putting into the cohort individuals who have different causes, right? And so I think it reduces the power, um, of our etiological studies if that's true, that different subtypes have different causes. We do need to, uh, to be wary of that. And to the extent where, where we can increase the size of our cohorts to be able to do analyses that are subgrouped by different subtypes, then we, we will be more refined in our, uh, in our investigations and, I think, be able to draw more valid conclusions. Sure. What would be your recommendations for, for moving forward
0: now for, for getting subtypes used more in clinical research?
1: So I think, for now, given the state of validation of the subtypes, I think it's probably most reasonable if you we want to apply... These subtypes now to ongoing research that's either therapeutic research or etiological research to use the empirical classification of tremor dominant versus a kinetic rigid. I think that is a very practical classification and has a fair amount of support from the prognostic point of view. But I think that the data-driven subtypes have a lot of potential to teach us about the disease because they do incorporate a broader view of the disease and don't rely on our preconceived notions about how the disease may be divided and so i think they're appealing and i think we should move them forward i think to move them forward we need to derive some algorithms to sort the cohorts into groups based on these subtypes and algorithms that can be easily used, and then we need to evaluate the performance um, by figuring out whether or not those algorithms can usually slot everybody into a specific subtype or the vast majority of a cohort into a subtype, and whether or not we can narrow down to, to a few subtypes, probably two or three or four subtypes at the maximum, because otherwise it has significant implications for power and we need to be able to then look at whether or not these have prognostic implications in longitudinal studies and also underlying ultimately pathological uh, differences. So I think that before we start using data-driven subtypes there's a lot of validation work to be done but I think it's important work.
0: Great, well Connie thanks very much for your time this afternoon. You're welcome. As ever, you can find a link to that freely accessible review on the podcast page. Next month, we'll be looking at language impairment and cognitive dysfunction in ALS, and also anti-GQ1B antibody syndrome in Bickerstaff brainstem encephalitis and Fisher syndrome. So come back then. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.